Welcome to the Canem Rinse Podcast. This is Volume 9, Issue 415, and today we will be talking about Days Gone. Joining me, Leah Haydu, and Issue 415 are Rich Davison. Hello. Brian Edwards. Oh, booze man. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, booze man. (laughs) (laughs) And in a rare appearance from the editing cave, Jay Taylor. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't think, and I haven't got the accent to do any impressions here, and it'll just sound like a mess if I did. Uh, you know, I, uh, I I encourage bad accents. I, it's, uh, it's a, I'm a fan. <laughs> Uh, so before we get into uh, the content of Days Gone, uh, we have a little bit of a discussion, uh, ongoing discussion on uh, our Canem Rinse Slack channel uh, regarding kind of the content of Days Gone, as well as a few other games that we are covering in this volume. Uh, and just full transparency for those who are probably listening in the future or who may be listening right now even uh we are in the middle of the COVID 19 pandemic right now and uh it's it's a pretty touchy subject for a lot of people it's it's something that causes a lot of stress and has a lot of links to uh some content in this game um with regards to pandemics and you know general apocalyptic uh, attitudes and, and realities. So uh, we just want to go ahead and issue a uh, content warning for Days Gone. Uh, it does deal with uh, global pandemics as well as uh, the aftermath thereof. So if that's something that you would prefer to avoid right now or forever, uh, we totally get it. Um, but if you want to come along and uh, and ride with us, if you will, <laughs> uh, then we're gonna we're gonna dive right in. So. Days Gone is a post-apocalyptic survival horror zombie adventure centered on one man's search for his wife and his place in life after a world-changing disaster. Uh, it was published by Sony, Entertain- Sony Interactive Entertainment America and developed by SCE Bend Studio. Uh, most of their credits revolve around the Siphon Filter games, although they also uh, have done some of the Vita slash PSP spinoffs for series like Resistance and Uncharted. Um, the music was composed by Nathan Whitehead, who uh, notably uh, has he has some uh, some uh, other credits, but the ones that uh, that really stuck out for me were Gears Three and Judgment, um, because he appears to have been a uh, a primarily uh, Microsoft uh, composer up until that point, and uh, now of course he's with the Sony studio, so that's uh, 
little bit of a swing there. And uh, sound design by uh, Philip A. Kovats, who has a significant um, resume to his credit. Um, but the ones that I kind of found interesting there were that he uh, also did sound design for The Last of Us and Death Stranding. And uh, you can kind of see some of the uh, the connection there, uh, you know, kind of a wastelandish type uh, apocalyptic. Uh, I I don't not both both of them do not have zombies, but one of them has squishy bits uh, of, of things <laughs> that you could be uh, stabbing and such. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, you, you can definitely kind of see the heritage there. Uh, written and directed by John Garvin, who was the writer and director. He has a, a number of other credits for production and such other things, but uh, notably, he has also written and directed uh, Uncharted Golden Abyss, which is the Vita spinoff of the Uncharted series, and uh, art direction by Donald Yatomi, who uh, appears to have worked for the studio for a while on things like Siphon Filter, Logan Shadow, and Resistance Retribution. Uh, also had production credits, although not art credits, on uh, Twisted Metal. And uh, the lead animator in this case is Jake Spence, who has many Tomb Raider titles to his name, uh, which, uh, I mean, you can probably kind of see that. This is uh, both the older Tomb Raider games as well as the uh, more recent reboots. So, um, yeah, you can, you can see that in some of the movement of the characters, I think. Uh, so development on Days Gone began uh, quite some time ago, actually. Early 2015 was when development started, and the official announcement actually came at E3 2016 uh, and then did not release until uh, mid-2019, uh, actually April 26, 2019. So we are coming up on the one-year anniversary uh, as of recording. It will actually have passed um, it, as of the, uh, the release date. But uh, yeah, so a year... Uh, a year to be roaming the zombie-infested wastelands, and uh, well, they're, they're not even really wastelands. We're going to get into that, but uh, there's a lot going on out there, uh, even if it is Oregon, which is kind of empty from what I understand. Um, no, no offense to any Oregonians. It's actually lovely, but um, hopefully you have fewer zombies than 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 are actually in the game. Uh, reviews of the game have not been stellar. Um, they haven't been terrible, but um, Open Critic, which is the source that we generally look to for such things these days, uh, has a 71 average, which I would say is not too bad. But um, considering how people feel about 7 out of 10s generally, I I'm not sure quite what to make of that. A um, couple of other notable critic scores from the time uh, are a 6.5 out of 10 from IGN and a 5 out of 10 from GameSpot. So kind of right down the middle. Um, user scores uh, generally higher, however. Uh, the IMDb average user score is an 8.4 out of 10. So that's a, a pretty significant leap from the others uh, that I was, uh, that I was uh, noting there. Uh, sales, I was not able to actually find the specific numbers, but I can say that uh, according to the NPD, uh, 2019 was a good year for Days Gone. It was the 19th best-selling game of all the console releases, and uh, PS4-specific titles, it was the number 8 best-selling game of 2019. Uh, so, pretty good. <laughs> uh, don't know whether that speaks to uh, the the uh, exclusives of the PS4 or uh, just that the game is actually not that bad as, uh, as, as critics might seem to think. So, uh, Let's go ahead and get into what we think, because it's our podcast, and we'll <laughs> let you know. Um, so let's go ahead and get into our histories 
with Days Gone. I'm going to start off. I bought Days Gone at launch and did not play it until it was time for the podcast. So it's pretty much my MO with a lot of things these days. Uh, I collect things that then sit on my shelf for a while. I don't know that I would have played Days Gone at the time that I did. I, I, I am definitely not avoiding things that are pandemic centered uh, as of now. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I think we've had kind of a, a spectrum of of approaches to uh, that particular subject material. Uh, I am neither avoiding nor seeking it out personally, uh, but I I don't know that I was necessarily in the mood for a, an open world game right now. So uh, not to tip my hand too much, but I I... I I don't know that this was the best time for me personally to be playing it, and I might have avo- it might have affected my personal uh, opinions had I played it at a different time. But I don't know. The end result is kind of that I did spend a as I warmed to the game, I I spent you know more and more time on it and sought out uh, a fair amount of the side stuff, not all of it, but uh, we'll get into details on that later. Uh, so I've played through Days Gone exactly once, and uh, very recently, in fact. Um, Rich, how about you? Did you play this at launch? Uh, have you have you gone back to it more than once? So uh, I've played through it once, and I didn't play it through launch. I actually got Jay's copy when he was done with it, so it's a oh, kind okay. of an odd order to go around in it. But perhaps he can kind of speak to why uh, why it was passed over to me after he'd finished. Um, I guess in preparation for it. The, the very first memory that I have of it was obviously in the E3 show in 2016, and it was among like a lot of really seminal games within this particular generation. So there was things like The mm-hmm. Last Guardian had a release date. We had a God of War trailer. We had um, Horizon Zero Dawn gameplay footage, and then Days Gone was there. So it didn't really light my world on fire when compared to some of the other games that were showcased there. I think it might have been something to do with the setting. I'm not overly familiar with Oregon. There's a lot of Douglas fur there. Doesn't really do a great <laughs> deal for me. Um, what I was interested, though, was that it was kind of gearing up to get that kind of coveted February to April release date that Sony have put a lot of their first-party titles in, which usually indicates to me that you're getting something that's of high quality. So you had Horizon in 2016, and I think, or 17, and then God of War in 2018, and then... Days Gone was 2019, so it kind of gave me some indication that there was going to be something of a pretty significant quality that came out there. Um, when I did get on to play it, I played it once, uh, really enjoyed it, so it was pretty good, pretty good. I think it was kind of an effortless play, and then in preparation for the show, I went back to play it once more on a new game plus. I got about five minutes in and went, ooh, yeah, I don't have time, <laughs> let's put this down and do some reading around it instead. Sounds good. Uh, Brian, we are the Americans in the group today. Um, <laughs> Finally, so somebody clearly, had to say it. Yeah. Clearly, we know about Oregon. Yes, clearly. Tell me everything from, you know about Oregon. Go. I'm from Western New York, which is, uh, I think, physically closer <laughs> to England than it is to Oregon. But um, yeah, uh, same. They, um, yeah, so I read the early reviews of the game and I was kind of listening to a lot of the podcast coverage and stuff on it. And I, I decided that I wasn't going to get it at launch. Just kind of the because of the mediocre-ish reviews and stuff. And then it happened to be our own uh, Jay Taylor, who will talk after me, that I saw him posting and talking about it um, in both our Slack channel and um, his wonderful photographs on Twitter. And I just kind of got a little bit more interested, a little bit more interested, and I was just kind of in a mood for an open-world game. So um, I found it 
discounted that June. I think it was uh, like you know a third, you know th- a third off. And uh, I purchased it and ended up being really glad I did. It kind of became my my game for that June. I wasn't quite aware of how long it was when I first started it. Um, and yeah, I played through it. Pretty much played nothing else. Um, but that for a few weeks. Um, did most of the side stuff you can do. Um, I was going to go back to kind of, I very similar to rich. I was going to go back for a, uh, another go right before the podcast and, um, due to other games and other stuff, I realized I wouldn't have a chance to really dive into it. So just kind of read up before this, but it was basically my June of 2019 was spent, uh, nothing but days gone. Nice. Uh, so Jay, I, I left you for last because if I'm not mistaken, was this your pick for, uh, for volume nine? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I thought so. Okay. Um, so you have some pretty strong feelings, I would think about Uh, Days Gone. Yeah. I mean, I didn't to begin with, because like, like Rich was saying, you know, it came up on my radar when I saw the trailer for the teaser back in, you know, what, 2016 or 2015. Mm -hmm. And it went on that list of. Games I want to play when it's cheap enough. Mm-hmm. So it just went on that list and I figured at some point I'll get around to playing it. Uh, and then uh, my wife went to work for Sony, which meant that they get first party copies of games given to them. So I ended up, I get well, I kind of knew the week it was coming out that she was getting a copy because she told me. But it was like, yeah, so I ended up getting this day one because of that. That helps. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it does. And um, it, it's, it's kind of uh, in the run up to it coming out, I was actually getting quite excited to play it. I think it was, it came for me right at that point where I was kind of between games. Well, I think I'd finished one thing and, and was waiting to start something else. And I knew this was coming. So I just held off because I thought this is going to be, I'm going to, you know, get stuck straight into this. And I really enjoyed it. It's, Quite easy to say that, I guess, when you haven't invested in it. But it's like I, I found, as we'll get into through the show, it surprised me in ways I wasn't expecting it to. But which then, after I was done, it's like nobody else was playing it. So I was like, uh, Rich and I often speak on PSN. And I was like, dude, I've got to send you this copy of this game because it's really <laughs> good and you want to check it out. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So, yeah, then it's just been, our, yeah, I guess I've been a bit of a, advocate for anybody who, who's looking for a uh you know apocalyptic zombie open world game uh so we've well i have mentioned uh specifically that uh days gone is set in oregon uh it is set two years after the start of a pandemic which turns people into cannibalistic creatures called freakers um this is not limited to the people that you see. You also, uh, as, as we'll, we'll talk about, uh, see that animals have the capacity to be infected as well. Uh, and that is sometimes extremely scary. There <laughs> are bears. bears. <laughs> there are zombie bears. Uh, excuse me. They're not freaker bears. They're ragers. Let's get oh, the, yes, uh, I'm sorry. Sorry. the terminology correctly. <laughs> All right. I'll show myself out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, what, what did you guys think of the setting? Uh, Oregon, for those who uh, might not know, is um, on the west coast of uh, the United States. It is um, kind of a, a uh, set up to be sort of a woodsy uh, area. Um, like, like most places, it has, of course, you know, cities and, yeah. and more, uh, more uh, populated areas. This particular story takes place in uh, kind of out in... Uh, in, not not exactly in the wilderness as you see there are plenty of buildings there are universities there are uh 
uh, towns and such, but uh, it's not a, a dense urban area that uh, most of this is going to take place in. So uh, what did you guys think of the setting? I thought it was interesting. Um, I wondered, because I know that Ben's studio is based there, aren't they? Yes. It made me think that if they were based in San Francisco, would we have had it based there? Was it simply because they were based in that state that they based the game there? Or, or is... Well, I, I suppose it just works. It works for what they do with the environment, I guess. I think it would have been a different story, right? If yeah. it had been a a city, uh, a city based game, and there there have been plenty of those as well. You know, there have been plenty of uh, something very bad happens in a city. Mm. So here's here's what we're doing. Uh, we're we're in the city now. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. Um, I, I really like the environment. I, I love the the world they've set but i've got to like at the time it felt familiar because i was coming off of the back of red dead redemption 2 as well Ooh. right and so it felt very much like they've got parts of the red dead map are very similar in its kind of topography and you know they've got the same you know they've got forests and and row you know those kind of dirt tracks everywhere so it kind of felt familiar in that sense um it's yeah beyond that i it it, it so it didn't it didn't initially stand out to me as like wow wow i've never seen anything quite like this um, right but it there's a character that grows from that as the more i played the game the more the sort of sense of its place and the char- and, and the sort of the environmental stuff really started to sort of stand out and separate itself from other games i think the one thing i was surprised about was um seeing like kind of knowing the setting of oregon like kind of expecting the forest and the hills and other things like that and then your your primary mode of transportation being your your motorcycle your bike and like to me like i when i think of like you know like biker gangs roman you know like driving out like i think of like open highway you know big open spaces you know and and kind of the hilly countryside of of um of of oregon didn't seem to me like a place that a bike would work very well and i ended up really liking the way those two interacted i mean there is a lot of those yeah. steep hills curvy you know kind of like rough terrain you're tr- and but you're it, it really drove home the point of using whatever tools you had at your disposal to survive this you know this apocalyptic event and i think like the combination of those things i think make the setting work very well in fact where the setting kind of and we'll talk about this when we get further on like you kind of unlock these camps and regions as you go along where, where the setting kind of fell apart for me was when you kind of got towards the end of the game where it was like more open areas that had kind of been forested and, and a lot of like, you know, like wide open landscape is, is where it, that was some the least interesting for me. But the, the actual forest, the actual, um, I guess, the first two thirds of the game, I thought the environment really kind of kind of to use a video game cliche, you know, it, like the environment kind of had like was a character of its own in certain ways. Mm hmm. For me, what I find fascinating about the use of Oregon is that almost as a sort of Pavlovian response, when I when I see a zombie game set in an urban area, I'm waiting for the point at which the game sort of the, the spine breaks and we have this loose analogy of like late stage capitalism and zombies are being used to kind of portray something along those lines. Days Gone does get there with its use of like non-governmental organizations, but it was quite a way in before we actually kind of made that kind of comparison within the game. So I was just trying to sort of see how they would manipulate a sort of countryside setting to sort of deviate from what we would normally come to expect with a like a zombie uh, trope in that case. So I think that's uh, that's 
kind of an interesting lead into uh, the visuals, which is something that I want to talk about. All I will say really here, and then I will let you guys go off, is um, that it's a really gorgeous game. Um, I I felt that um, it's one of uh, kind of the prettiest, and, and, and I don't know whether that is due to the setting or whether it would be just as pretty if it were somewhere else, but um, I, I really liked... Uh, a lot of the um, kind of landscapes and the the scenery and everything. I think one of the things that I enjoy most about Days Gone is that it's really cinematic at 30 frames a second and mm. there's sort of some threat of a, a PC kind of port a potential 60 frames a second and I think that might be to the detriment of the game because mm. Tom Quilfeld and I were talking in the Slack channel about the Final Fantasy 7 remake being at 30 frames a second I think that this game just looks really kind of like thick and atmospheric at the 30 frames a second in a way that really um, not very many other games do on the PS4. And that's at both um, PS4 Pro and the base version of the PS4. Yeah, on a a technical level, um, I was very impressed that the game was able to handle a lot of characters and a lot of elements on the screen at once. Um, And what I'm, excuse me, And what I'm thinking about here is the hordes that you would occasionally run across where you would have literally hundreds of these freakers. And I couldn't tell, you know, like if if there were any that were repeating in there, I could not tell. I it looked like a swarm of creatures, you know, in in whatever way you you want to interpret that, you know, if if you had like a swarm of ants that were all huh. doing a different thing, then, you know, it would be similar to this swarm of, of freakers that were all kind of doing a different thing. It, it looked very organic to me. And I, I was, I was very impressed by that. The character models as well are really, really detailed. And some of the mm. motion capture that they've done, it might even be keyframe animated on the, the lip sync and is also incredibly impressive at the same point. I want to talk about the, the main characters a little bit here. In particular, if you look up a picture of the actor, uh, Sam Witwer is his name, who, uh, who voiced Deacon St. John, the main character, it looks exactly like yeah. him. Like, it, they really, the other, the other main characters, uh, Boozer and, and Sarah, uh, a little bit less so, but possibly Boozer, if the actor, you know, shaved his head and got a bunch of tattoos, it would, it <laughs> would look more, it would look more on the nose. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell, but, um, but yeah, uh, Deacon's, Deacon's, uh, actor, man, it, it, he really, they nailed it there. So, yeah, um, it was like when I was reading the show notes for this and I looked up, looked him up to look at his picture, mm-hmm. like, I don't think I could see him in anything now without thinking about Deacon St. John. <laughs> like, he's a, it's, yeah. it's incredible how, what, what the likeness is. Yeah, so um, let's, uh, while we're talking about uh, the characters, we're going to talk about, um, we can talk about the, uh, the, the full cast uh, in, in a little bit, but I do want to, uh, while we're talking about uh, some of the more technical elements, uh, let's go into the audio a little bit, and I want to start with the vocal performances, because I think that they, personally, I found Deacon's performance by Sam Whitworth to be a little bit uneven. Uh, when I say uneven, what I mean is, that some of his dialogue seemed pretty good to me. And then 
and, and I'm not sure whether this is a fault of his as an actor, or maybe it's a direction thing, or maybe it's just part of the writing, but he always sounded like he was talking through his teeth when he was trying to go and, and, and yelling at kind of inappropriate times. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure who's, I, I don't want to say it's somebody's fault, because I'm sure that it was kind of a combination of, you know, different factors, <laughs> but um. I, I, did you guys feel the same way about yeah, Deacon's definitely. performance? I very much noticed this when I was playing it. On all occasions I played this game, it's the one thing that stood out to me. It's like, um, I think I was talking with Rich about this the other night, where I'm having a conversation with Boozer. Boozer is literally two feet from me. We're stationary mm-hmm. on the bikes. We're at the entrance of a camp. Boozer's talking normally, and Deacon's shouting every <laughs> single word. And it's I'm, and it, yeah, and you get a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Like I was, uh, there'll be times where I'll be hiding stealthily in a bush from a horde that's like twenty feet from me, and I'm shouting on the radio to somebody. <laughs> and it's just like it's this one thing that yeah. it, it it can on occasion. I mean, more often than not, it made me it made me smirk. Because I just thought, wow, <laughs> okay. Um, but you realize there's just like, I don't know how hard it is to do all this stuff. How you can, you know, and I, I, in many ways, we've been spoiled recently with the likes of, um, you know, like Marvel's Spider-Man, where they recorded every line twice, once in a kind of more exerted manner, so that if you were swinging when, you were, when this line was being spoken, it would sound like he's swinging. And then another way, if you were just standing on a rooftop, you know, that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of planning and probably a lot of cost as well because you're going to yeah. literally yeah. double up your, your recording time. But, you know, I have no idea. By all accounts, Ben's a, a relatively small studio in, in, if you, I mean, what would we call this? A triple A or a double A game? It's, you know. I mean, it's a first, I- first in a series. So yeah. you've got to think there's some constraints there on maybe budget, yeah. time yeah. scales, scope, yeah. you know. Sure. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a Sony first party game, so I mean it. Or well, I guess it's a is that a second party game when they own the studio? Is, is I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it is it is a directly under Sony. Yeah. Uh, title. So yeah, I mean I I there's clearly money behind this, um, and but it's so ambitious. Uh, like you were mm. saying, Jay, if they had to record all of the lines twice, then it it. That that's a lot of dialogue. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's there is a lot and of dialogue a, here. A lot of programming goes into that sort of sure. stuff. Yeah, you know sure. when you're doing stuff, how you you know if you're on the bike or whether you're on foot, how mm-hmm. that should sound. I, I you know yeah, yeah. I, I had the uh, I had the same reaction to kind of the bike conversations because I mean even yeah I get that you would need to be kind of shouting if you're on the bike and yeah. you, the bikes are mm-hmm. loud yes but if you're on the bike and the bike is sitting still and you're still shouting then I I don't know it, it doesn't fit somehow. I think the game also suffers from like an overabundance of just kind of in- incidental dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, God. I, I recorded this. Um, I have the video. I couldn't figure out how to get it off my PlayStation today. I was going to send it to you guys, but it's basically um, I, I like in, in a fight with a freaker. I end up, I end up killing the freaker and then Deacon like sees one of the Nero guys like off in the corner, like, like kind of, and he's like, and he does that really, really teeth gritting angry voice where he's just like oh you motherfuckers think you can come in my area and do all this and then i get on my bike and he literally goes like huh almost empty (laughs) talking about his tank of gas so he goes from like he does that yeah and you get on the bike and he's just like hmm well you know i guess i guess we can need to fill up sometime like it just it it sets itself up to where he's like like 
like blinded with hatred and rage to just yeah. like like mundane things about his bike in like fractions of a second apart from each other. One of, one of the things that I found to be kind of a silly ongoing thing is how he will very frequently just say the name of something when he picks it up, like gas can. Or <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bottle. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's what that is. Every Deacon, time you go to a Nero job. research site, he's like, huh, Nero research site. That means there's an injector nearby. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I know, buddy. We, we got or it. Or I'm going to have yeah. to come back and finish burning you guys out later. Yeah. You said that the past 10 times. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I actually found when he would say that I need to burn, I need to finish off burning out these nests. I actually found that quite useful. Like some of that stuff actually was quite useful to remind me that because they don't all they didn't always show up on the map unless you'd driven within a certain radius yep. of them. Yeah. And so when he would say stuff like that, it made me in some cases I would stop off and, and look for these things. So I, I would have them highlighted or sometimes if I've got the equipment, I would just go to finish yeah. them off. If I've got an issue with it, it is the kind of the sort of the weird disconcerting sort of flipping between normal voice to angry voice mm-hmm. and, and shouting all the time. Like, in particular, Copel- every time Copeland's on the radio, it would, <laughs> yes. like, it, it, it's kind of interesting if you think of, when I, after I was playing this, I, I was thinking, it's okay if you think of Deacon as insane. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, if you've been out in the wilderness and lost the plot, like, <laughs> and in a way, it does actually sort of fit with this guy who's basically lived for two years having to sort of just, murder his way to through survival you know it's like he definitely does of- have like the nathan drake syndrome of yeah he's he's a fine guy except that he's killed hundreds of people and zombies like- yeah but i think <laughs> unlike nathan drake I, I feel that as we'll get into this later but it, it feels like there is actually a point to that in the sense that it's addressed mm. to a degree within the characterization and and the conversations they have about yeah you know this is damaged to people like yeah. those who survived have, have come at a cost and i, I would definitely of- agree with that and yeah. and it it because i mean not only that but deacon specifically is ex-military yeah. so i thought that that was i mean that could have come off as just kind of a um like a throwaway background thing but mm. it actually explains how he knows how to do a lot of the things that he knows how to do, like blow up a bridge effectively. Yeah. You know, it, <laughs> right. it, and it isn't he, just it, an excuse for his like military, you know, yeah, weapon exactly. usage and stuff. Later in the game, it, it plays directly into some of the characters yes. and why they kind of warm to him so quickly is that he's ex-military. So it's right. Anything else on uh, on Deacon's so, voice acting? I, I, yeah, specifically? I, the bit where you said that he actually voiced Emperor Palpatine. Do you? Yeah. I, I haven't checked his IMDb, but is this? Um, Star Wars Battlefront as well, because uh, that is a good question. If it know. is, that is a really good Ian McDermott um, impression he does on that, and I'm like super impressed by the fact that it was him because it's like I would have never have thought that. But if that's the case, wow, I'm I'm proper like Darth wow. Maul and Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, in the game Battlefront Two. Wow. Okay, that is yep. yeah, that is also actually- provided the voice for Darth Maul in Solo, a Star Wars story. Really. Oh wow! Yep. Of course he did. Yeah, I remember reading that because because he, he referenced the Star Killer from Force Unleashed. But it's yeah. See, he's actually a, when you say that, that actually makes me think he's a much better actor than you might think. He. I mean, I, I, that sounds dismissive because I actually think he's a good actor in this. But yeah, yeah. I, I think talking it, hearing you guys talk it over, and uh, it, it 
I think that it probably is less a his performance is is inconsistent and more a it's edited and and possibly directed inconsistently because yeah no i i don't i don't think he's a bad character i don't like him very much but i don't think you're i don't think you're meant to if i'm honest like when the way it starts with this game i think you have to warm to the character as you go i I definitely think he is thoroughly unlikable at the beginning he's brutal (laughs) nasty you know um you know he's mercenary mercenary yeah. yeah but um yeah, like when you see the sequences that are like the cutscenes, if you will, where you can get the sense of a proper performance between the characters and stuff. That's where I, I feel, you know, it's just in the incidental dialogue where it can sometimes feel at odds with what you're mm-hmm. doing in the game. But yeah, true, true. Uh, so the other two main characters, I thought their performances came off a lot better, actually. Mm. Um, so there was uh, Jim Peary as a uh, boozer who uh, also recently voiced the main antagonist of Dying Light, which we just covered in issue 412. Um, I was not really familiar with him before. And like I said, I can't I, I can't quite visualize him as Boozer just from his picture. But uh, I believe that he was actually a, um, uh, a likeness model, I, I suppose, for the character as well. Um, like I said, more, more skull tattoos, but still, you know, there's a connection there. And uh, Courtney Draper, who voiced uh, Sarah Deacon's wife, uh, and her the standout that uh, that I think most people would associate her with was that she voiced Elizabeth from Bioshock Infinite, uh, as well as doing the uh, songs that Elizabeth sings in Bioshock Infinite, um, which are just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we covered Bioshock Infinite in Kingdom Rinse issue 310. Um, so, as I say, I thought that they were, uh, that they, their performances came off better, but possibly that is just because we don't spend as much time with them as we do with Deacon, so they didn't have quite as much time to say things like gas can. Um, <laughs> what did you guys think? Uh, Rich, you haven't said anything in a while. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a great deal of opinion on Boozer, so <laughs> when he sort of succumbs to um, septicemia or something like this, it was kind of nice to get him out of my sight. But what I will say about Sarah's character is there's quite an ambitious storyline that happens between both her and Deacon that's kind of interwoven with a load of different sort of points and narratives. So, for example, as we go later into the game, Sarah's trying to uh, create a weapon to deal with the freakers and then it turns out that she's actually trying to create a cure and then there's a whole love story that occurs between them with flashbacks for example and they're in denial of knowing one another or acknowledging their relationship so there's a lot going on there and it kind of comes across really well in my opinion yeah yeah i think she i think i think both those performances were were good i think it's very necessary to flesh out uh deacon because um as you said or alluded to before, Leah, like you kind of you kind of lose reasons to kind of identify and like him. Um, so Boozer and Sarah, like I, I kind of viewed them as like his kind of emotional anchors, like to like bring you back to the fact, like oh, this guy has friends and had a love and had things he's lost. Like they kind of represented the things that like that endeared me to Deacon when kind of the things that I was doing while controlling Deacon maybe maybe would lead me down the other path. So. Um, yeah, I thought they were, I thought they they served themselves in the story well. I think the stuff with Sarah towards the end, we'll talk about them more when we get the plot later. I think I think some of that is fantastic storytelling, particularly for games. Um, 
and that was portrayed very negatively for uh, obvious soundbite reasons. We'll talk about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I think that I think that, that that relationship that he had with both of them just defined him so much and does such a good job at fleshing out all the characters to where I I found them all semi relatable, if not likable. Yeah, no, I I uh, I, I liked Boozer. Uh, I, I found him to be a genuinely likable character. I think this is a good spot to talk about this too. Like, like I think this game has a real problem with its naming conventions. Like, like I, I in general think the names in this game like are are pretty pretty bad. And I don't mean to just paint with such a broad brush, but like Deacon St. John, Boozer, <laughs> Schizo, like Iron Mike. Like I just like to me it was just like it, it was like um kind of like because I thought it made perfect sense. Iron Mike's Iron Mike because he's got a a artificial leg or something doesn't he so they call him Iron Mike it's a nickname yeah that, I, I but don't it's know. like and Boozer I just assumed well <laughs> you know, yes yeah. exactly yeah I, uh, I don't well, know hilarious not <laughs> what I liked about this is I saw a lot of, and you're not the only person who, who, who raised the issue of Deacon St. John it felt like a video oh, game yeah. character name like yeah. you know you know you get these characters in video games with these kind of Hero names, you know, or whatever you want to call them. It's just the name that has well, even, to stand out. Even within the the game itself, uh, the the one character, uh, the drug Taylor. addict in the ca- yeah. Yeah. Taylor, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. basically yeah. goes, yeah, just Deacon totally Saint John, <laughs> son of a preacher man. Yeah, exactly. so they're not, yeah. they they're not like completely going straight face no. with this one, but yeah, it's pretty silly. And I don't, and I am not trying to like say that I could a name better or find it. Just every one of those characters that get that introduced and they would yeah. say the name like my reaction was well of course that's his name or of course that's her name like that that it's was kind of like the, they went to camp yeah. like they you know i i, I don't I, this this happened to me i don't know whether this is a common thing but like going to girl scout camp nobody yeah. like the counselors don't go by their real names they go by like a camp name like this is peanuts or this is uh, sunshine or i i don't know I, yeah. I don't remember but like that that's kind of how that seems and it's, now, a, it's only the mo- it's only the guys who have that who do this yeah in the game, i think because so. all the women are just they're, they're normal <laughs> so. yeah yeah well i mean schizo I, I mean we might we might as well just continue talking about characters here um so uh yeah there are there are three main camps uh, mm. that you go to in the course of the game. Uh, there is a, a camp. The first two are kind of tutorial camps almost um, and are run by uh, people by the name of Copeland and Tucker. Um, Mark Copeland is uh, kind of a... Uh, what would what, what would we call him? A um, a conspiracy theory? Well, hardcore libertarian. Yeah, libertarian. That was mine too. Yeah. Uh, I have a piece of correspondence here um, from the forum mm. from Deadpool Negative, uh, who wrote uh, some some uh, some really in depth uh, exploration of of some of the uh, the themes and some of the characters in the game. Um, we'll hear from them a couple of times, uh, but here they say. A digression about Copeland for a moment. This is one of the odder things I've come across in a game recently. Copeland is an Alex, Alex Jones type who rants about the fact that now the Freakers have seemingly destroyed the world, Americans are finally free to be Americans, and have thrown off the yoke of the U.S. government. He's voiced by Crispin Freeman in his maximum This is a Bad Dude dudgeon. Whenever Deke intercepts one of his many radio transmissions, Deke always responds with shouts and hollers about what a paranoid dweeb he was before the fall of civilization and how he shouldn't be taken seriously. 
The thing is, with all the stuff that eventually happens in the game, especially with Nero and their strange intentions, Copeland is essentially right to be so paranoid. The government was doing some shady, strange stuff at Sarah's lab. Someone tried to blow the whistle and now everything's gone to sh**. Nero is still experimenting and not telling the truth about what's going on, and everyone needs to pick up a gun and protect themselves. Ben Studios writers clearly don't intend for Copeland to be seen as a good person, but in the early hours of the game, in contrast to Tucker, he feels like, at the very least, an honorable man. He's apologetic to Deacon about the loss of his bike. His camp looks rickety, but the people there seem satisfied, whereas at Tucker's camp, she's got better amenities, better security, and better merchandise, but she's essentially running a forced labor camp. Although it's never explained what exactly she's doing. Is she supplying food? Does she run some sort of racket with the other camps? Iron Mike's crew seemingly doesn't need her help, and in fact, Deacon and Boozer were exiled from Mike's camp for doing business with her, and it seems like nobody north knows about what's beyond the mountains down south. I really thought in the final act of the game there would be some sort of Unite the Camps mission where Deacon tries to get everyone together, which would pay off your interaction with both Tucker and Copeland. But that doesn't happen. Once you get to Iron Mike's, both Copeland and Tucker recede from the narrative, only to pop up offering occasional side quests. Yeah, it does actually pay off um, if you do stuff with this. So there is a point when you get to the very end, depending on how you've you've got the um, what's the what's the phrase I'm trying the, to think the, of the the not charisma. What's the um, the trust level? Yeah, you, you've got mm. the trust level with the camps. If you've got it maxed out on all three camps, they all unite against the militia. Really? Um, yeah, because they all turn up to help you at the end. But if you don't do this. You don't, because, uh, yeah, you know, depending on, the, and that depends entirely on how many missions you do with them and what you do for them. Um, but, yeah, it does actually pay off. I feel it should have been more, inte- it should have been a more integral point to the game. Yeah. Um, I don't, like, it, it's, it, there's a, an interesting conversation that you have with Tucker um, after you do the first, uh, I think the first time you go to her camp, she asks you to ride with her in a little golf cart as she takes you from one point to the map, uh, for mm-hmm. the camp to the other. And she, there's a conversation which I thought was quite interesting where she's saying, you know, she knows she's a hard ass on this camp, but she said that the people who've survived for two years are not necessarily the nicest people around. These are, these are hardened people. These are people who are willing to do what was necessary in order to survive, which often means murder um, or worse. And I feel that that, that kind of, I, I feel there's a sense, there's a, there's a, what felt like a sense in why she's so hard on people. And there's a conversation you have, she's having with Alki at the very beginning when you first encounter them, mm-hmm. where they're trying to dig the land up for farmland, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, you know, ex volcanic rock and stuff. And he's basically saying, we're not going to, it's not going to work. Um, but she's saying, well, they need something to do. They're not just going to sit around all day. You know, we need to keep people busy. And so, but yeah, I mean, she's obviously, you know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I think they went a little personally. I, um, I did not get, I obviously did not get to the point where they all unite uh, because I ended up disliking Tucker so much that I, once you kind of get through her story point, I just yeah. never really wanted to go back. Hmm. Um, I, I under, I, I, it's a good point that you make, uh, Jay, about why she's kind of treating people the way that she is. But I, in my mind, it seems like she takes it too far. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And and I say that because um, you find out about her background that she was um, she was a um, was she a warden, I believe, uh, a prison yeah, warden. Yeah, prison yeah. warden. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I can understand why she would have that particular approach to things, but the way that she encourages you and, in fact, will pay you to mm. bring people to her, she doesn't care what they've done. She doesn't care. And yeah. you, you have a whole kind of storyline with uh, Lisa, who is a um, kind of a, a stray girl that you uh, go out to find and who does not want to be there at all and ends up in a really horrible situation. Um, but I mean, she probably has not been a terrible person who deserves to be put in a forced work camp, but she's not allowed to leave once you get her there. And that raises some questions about Deacon at that point, because yeah. she basically tells him, look, I don't want to be here. I want to leave. And he goes, uh, I don't care. And then leaves. Um, cause he got paid at that point. And you know, he, he goes off and saves her later. And there's a whole thing about how she reminds him of, uh, of Sarah's sister and, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It, it, but yeah, I feel yeah, like there's some, th there's, there's a lot of interesting ideas that maybe aren't as, mm -hmm. they don't formulate them as quite as effectively as they should have done. Cause I mean, that's the whole point when you get to, um, uh, Lost Lake with Iron Mike's camp, mm -hmm. you find out that he basically told you to get out and never come back because you were doing jobs for Tucker and basically selling people to her. Yeah. And so he, and they referred to her as a slave trader. And so mm -hmm. it's like, you, there's clearly sort of tension there and stuff. And I, I, I like, I always felt that they those seeds of really good ideas in this that maybe aren't as, as executed as, as cleanly and as precisely as, as, as a, you know, as they could have been. 100%. Yeah. And this is kind of one of the big problems that I've got with Days Gone because it feels like for the first game, they've got too many ideas. So yeah. each one of these camps represents a type of society or mm -hmm. a type of ideology that is brought about when society collapses and, and what's left in the vacuum. So you've got the forced labor camp, you've got that yeah. extreme libertarian, Iron Mike's a pacifist, and you've got the military focus down in the, in the South mm -hmm. where... Um, I can't remember what his name is now, the Garrett. general. Yeah. Garrett. Yeah, yeah, Garrett. Garrett. Yep. And it almost feels like, slow down, let's focus on a few of these mm. and not try and pile too many of them at the same time because you lose focus. For me, for example, once that first third of that game was done and you move towards Iron Mike's camp and then in the southern, uh, the southernmost area, I just lost focus, lost interest in what's happening with, uh, with both of the two yeah. camps at the north. I had pretty much the... The, the same reaction with regard to the the first two camps um as, as i was saying before like they just they they felt like tutorials or false starts even yeah. like you you start to get into these and once you get to iron mike's camp and that's clearly where you are supposed to spend the most time that's that's mm. where the most story is right and that's you know kind of where they want you to dig in uh at least until you get to the south camp and I just, I, not, again, not to, to kind of give away my entire uh, opinion here, but I, I felt like the game was too long. And the part that I felt like it was too long was the, the beginning parts. I, I ended up liking kind of where the story went, but yeah. those two camps just felt unnecessary to me. I, I mean, if they had been there as, you know, you start off, by yourself you end up you go right to iron mike's camp and you know you have these other camps that you can kind of visit and do other things with that i don't that might have been 
more of a favorable setup for me personally um but it just it kind of felt like i was wasting time almost that's that's a little too harsh but i no i think you're right i think the the thing is those two camps they don't maybe like certainly copeland's camp has very they don't really little, have any lasting consequences is yeah i, I think i what mean I'm there's going very little here. story takes place around yeah. those yeah. camps maybe there's a little bit more with um tucker's camp because you've got lisa that gets that's where her sort of yeah story starts so that stuff i actually found really interesting i think lisa's story mm. i think was quite severely underserved in the in the game it could have been a really fascinating kind of uh diversionary sort of side tale that that took place throughout the game mm-hmm. where i feel it really kind of over egged the pudding was with the rippers um mm-hmm. so the rippers are this sort of renegade basically apocalypse loving group of psychopaths that live out there where they cut themselves and, and um, worship the, the freakers. They remind me a lot of the bandits from Mad Max, particularly yeah, Fury Road. Like, there's a so, lot yeah. of te- uh, overlap there. Yeah, yeah. it made, made no s- sense to me at all. And, and I feel that that's where, for me, the biggest problem I had with the story was that stuff. But mm. yeah, and those characters where I just felt you could have cut all of that out and it would have made very little difference to the to the overall game. I agree. Well, w- with the exception I- of one scene, I think there's one scene that I thought was quite good. And that's after you've wiped out their camp by blowing up a dam and flooding the entire valley. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a bit where him and Boozer, because you did it together, we were kind of congratulating themselves and laughing about it. And then there's a moment where they look at the devastation they've caused and he has that moment of sort of reining himself back in and realizes what he's done. But then you and then you go in and slaughter the rest of them up on foot. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of fascinated that that was a, like a low point for you because that really felt like a bit of a high point for me. So right. the whole issue with the um, the rippers is that the there's a sort of former gang member yeah, yeah. that used to be with um, Boozer and Deegan who was essentially bullied by them in his time in um, in their gang. And didn't, and didn't he they attended- actually? Didn't they torture he, him at one point? Yeah, they, they did. did. So they, mm-hmm. he attempted to murder one of the gang members. So they uh, they kind of basically cauterized his gang tattoo with a blowtorch. And essentially, what's implied is that he wants to try and forget about his time in um, in the gang. And so he kind of covets the freakers because he sees them as losing their mind, and he kind of wants to have that exact same sort of. Um, outlook on life so it's just another representation of it and I felt that really personal story resonated a lot more with me than the whole um, culmination of the whole um, is it Wizard Mountain or whatever it's yeah. called yeah um, Wizard, Wizard Island, Island yeah, yeah at that point and so it kind of peaked in the middle for me and, and got a little bit more sort of weary towards the end yeah, yeah I uh, this is I, that's why all this stuff is subjective because I I kind of the star of story to me was the story of deacon and sarah like i like the mm. the 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 problems that uh, leah was describing with the two camps at the beginning i find uh essential to my enjoyment of the game because i really like seeing deacon and boozer as these kind of two wayward outcasts and like seeing like the jobs they were doing for these kind of two questionable well i mean tucker definitely questionable but copeland also questionable yeah. in his own right um, different little sets of society kind of shows me how society is grouping off from one another. Then when he gets back to Iron Mike, it, it, like I, I think it really ties Deacon and Boozer's kind of 
like you know story together um and, and yeah. the game the game does try beat you over the head with it i mean on several times it makes you go to the nero camp that just has a rock with sarah spray painted on it to pray <laughs> you know so like it does beat you over the head with the fact that this is the journey he's been on but like i find all of that stuff really compelling and the ripper stuff to me was there were there were some interesting combat challenges. I really mm. to get into some of the gameplay. Like I really disliked the stealth elements. I feel like that that's where the gameplay of this game kind of um, kind of failed for me was stealth fighting human enemies. I, I I didn't enjoy that part of it necessarily. Some of those ripper sections seemed far too long in the tooth for me. But the actual story and and the length of you know the first two camps, then Iron uh, Iron Mike's camp, and then Wizard Island. I thought I thought really fleshed it out in a in a very satisfying way for me. Have we got time to have a chat about Schizo? <laughs> yes. Uh, before we do, uh, let me, uh, I, I want to read a, a piece of correspondence here. And then I actually, I'm going to read two pieces of correspondence here. Uh, one that will lead nicely into Schizo, who is a real piece of work. Uh, so the first piece I want to read is from, uh, also from the forum. This is from Simon Sloth, who says, The oft-repeated, if you give it X number of hours, it gets good, definitely applies to Days Gone. I've got to admit, it starts quite well with some creepy sequences and story building, but then the open world elements create too much padding and it takes a long time to get any kind of attachment to the narrative or characters. I can't ascertain how many hours it took to start really enjoying it, but it's probably when you start getting involved with Iron Mike's camp. I have to say, at that stage, I was gripped to the point I was actually counting down the hours at work so I could get home to play it. The missions were generally closer to the main camp. There was more exposition, character development, and almost made the opening 20... 20 or so hours unnecessary, as it to me almost added nothing. I genuinely started to care about the main characters now, and it really felt to me like it was hitting the same notes as the Walking Dead TV series at its peak. Um, yeah, just to <laughs> the, what really got me about this piece of correspondence was the if you give it X number of hours, it gets good, um, because I hear that a lot about JRPGs, uh, and I think I understand what you guys are complaining about now. <laughs> so, uh, Schizo. Um, Schizo is a, uh, a character that you run into in Iron Mike's camp, uh, and he ends up being, um, just a real dirtbag. Um, so <laughs> let's, uh, I want to lead in with another, uh, another bit from, from Deadpool Negative. It says, of course, going on during the Iron Mike section is all the stuff with Schizo. While I'll give Jason Spisak credit for his enthusiasm, this character makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> He's mean, he's disruptive, <laughs> nobody likes him, but Iron Mike keeps him around and doesn't really answer when Deacon asks him point blank as to why. It's bizarre how the writing takes so much care with most of its characterization, yet Schizo is such an obvious one. Even the military weirdos you run into later in the game, as bent as they are, seem functional. With Schizo, you're just waiting for him to turn on you, and he does in the most predictable fashion. And he leaves the plot and arrives in times of maximum convenience. I agree with a lot of this. Um, yeah. I don't... Yeah, I, yeah, I mean... So, um, you run into a few major characters in Iron Mike's camp. Um, we didn't really talk about, um, Ricky and Addie, um, but they are, um, kind of the, the nice people who are going to help I, you and give yeah, you missions. Yeah, Ricky's and my favorite character in the game. I really like Ricky, yes. Um. Yeah, I like Ricky and Addie, both yes. of them, yeah. quite a bit. Um, but, uh, we can, we can come back to them, because yeah. Skizzo. Schizo, right? Schizo looks like he's got into a fight with Fubu and lost, and immediately <laughs> from the beginning, I was like, "Oh God, this guy! I just want him to disappear." <laughs> but what I what I hate most about him is it's almost like the writers didn't quite think we were going to hate him enough. So what they did is they Im imposed a scene where or implied a scene where he was found sort of 
like a peep in Tom, like yeah. watching Ricky and Addy while they were washing. And I'm like, come on, yeah. we already hate him enough. You don't need to really lay it on that thick. He actually took <laughs> photographs. You find photographs, Polaroids in his apartment that you burn in the sink. And yeah. it's just like, wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I... Uh, Schizo is what I'm afraid that everybody thinks every American <laughs> is. <laughs> That's what I think of Schizo. Like, uh, he, uh, he's just a classic douchebag. And and I do really like Deadpool Negative's uh, thoughts on that because I didn't think... I, it didn't crystallize in my head until I read that mm. piece of correspondence. Is, like, nobody likes him. He is a treasure. And Iron Mike keeps him around but doesn't really answer why. Mm. Like, he doesn't... He never proves to be of any real use, or at least doesn't seem to show any usefulness. And yet, two of the main pillars of like leadership in the game, in both Iron Mike and the Colonel and Colonel Garrett, like both find reasons to allow him to get into close company. So, in one sense, he's like a like he's like a good he's a good yeah. bad guy, like a good sleazeball. But on the other sense, like it doesn't it doesn't do enough to justify how he gets himself into those positions. So, like it. He does to me. It loses a little bit of that credibility. Is like, but uh, like, why do they care about Schizo? Why do they, why do they trust him with anything? You know, besides you know his own. There's two- a little like- bit of that cut on, left on the cutting room floor because one of the things about yeah. Schizo is that he's kind of portrayed as a bit of a gangbanger or mm-hmm. something of that yeah. ilk. And actually, if you read through some of the sort of uh, ancillary material, you find that he's actually like incredibly intelligent, former like academic. So yeah, maybe it's just all of that law firm left or something as well, wasn't he? He was like, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. you find a letter from his grandparents congratulating him on his uh, internship or whatever. But it's uh, there's there's the thing is, I kind of liked how sleazy and nasty this character is because it was so satisfying when you finally get to like do him in because he was asking for it for hours <laughs> and it was just like when that showdown finally came down, it was like yes. But um, but yeah, it did. Yeah, I had more of a problem. I had less of a problem with his relationship with Iron Mike because there was a lot there that we didn't see. What I felt was with the problem I had with Colonel Garrett was that I had spent hours doing all kinds of missions for these guys. I'd rescued so many prisoners and so many of their people from marauder camps and all the rest of it, single-handedly taken out like cords. <laughs> And they sided with him. <laughs> and it's just yeah. like, what? Very persuasive. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. like, after everything I've done for yeah. you and grateful bastards, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. But, um, <laughs> it but, made yeah. a little bit of sense to me with, with Iron Mike, just because Iron Mike is, is portrayed as being an almost naive level of pacifist. Like, yeah. he, he, he really wants things to work. He really wants, you know, to not have to resort to violence and to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I get that. And that, that makes a little bit of sense. But Schizo, man, Schizo well, is just Well, the thing is, so like, terrible. if you think of him as, as we know that he is, which is that a character with a lot more intelligence than he's given, he's yeah. very manipulative. Like, he gets rid of, yes. like, you find a list in his, uh, you find, uh, like, bunch of the stuff that you find lying around when you go through his apartment there's a list basically a hit list of people mm-hmm. that he wants to get rid of one of them is the two guys he sent into the um, mine shaft that got killed yeah and so you feel like yeah. he's actually and maybe this is where the failure of the writing is to get across just how clever he was in the way that also when he when you do i mean i'm i'm mocking the scene with uh colonel garrett but what he does is he taps straight into the garrett's religious 
um, fanaticism. Yeah. yeah. And then straight yeah. away taps yep. into that and uses that to turn on Deep. And that's where I thought, that's actually quite clever in the way that he, he did that, but you're not necessarily getting the gist, you know, it, it's only when you sort of think about it afterwards and you think, oh, it kind of works, but, yeah. you know, could it have been better presented in some way? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I think they, they landed the, the relationship between um, Schizo and um, Iron Mike and Carlos slash Jesse, depending on what you want. And mm-hmm. in that way, what happens is that Carlos um, knows or rather, um, Schizo feels that Carlos is going to betray Iron Mike because they've got a yeah. very tenuous kind of peace between yeah, the two yeah. of them. And he knows when Deacon and Boomer come back that Carlos is going to have some kind of um, yeah. argument or altercation with them. And he, he tries to predict it and he ends up brokering his own kind of deal where he hands them mm-hmm. over for, for his own gain as well at the same point. Mm-hmm. Schizo is very effective as a villain. Um, yeah. it, it's just... He's such a dirtbag. Like well, I know it. guys I like think, this. Yeah. Like the, this, this. That's the yep, terrible no, part. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say what what they could have done to improve the yeah. situation. I think it's like here's the thing. Like all the performances in this stuff, I you know I think they're all of a caliber. To be honest, mm-hmm. I think you know even as, as um, Deadpool Negative talks about, you know, he, 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 Jason Spizak gives a very in, you know enthusiastic performance, and he is really mm-hmm. good at playing the sleazebag in this, and yeah. he, he he conveys it really well. And there's there's some like I enjoy watching the cutscenes on this where the interaction between the characters and the way that it's performed. Also, I think that like even just the the facial animation and all that kind of stuff is really well done. You know, the looks yeah. characters give each other, and it's literally just looks, but it conveys it carries through in the animation and stuff, which I help to me help cement at least some of the characters, um, even if the writing wasn't quite. Or, or rather, the right that sounds unfair to say the writing isn't there. It's not really that. It's it's just the sort of slight disconnection. Yeah, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's another uh, aspect of of like they have this this wide cast of characters spreading out over multiple camps. Mm. So if you're thinking about this in terms of storytelling, like it's difficult to cement like one bad guy if, if you want one bad guy or like, you know, like there's all these competing forces and yeah. these different characters that all have their own motivations and getting those all to interweave and yeah. like to come to a, like a completely satisfying ending where people, everybody seemed fleshed out and believable yeah. is very difficult. And, and very rarely I do. I think any mediums uh, get, get it, get it like great, you know? Um, and I do think that this game suffers a little bit from the fact that it did come off the heels of a, of an ensemble cast of characters like mm-hmm. red dead redemption Two, to where I feel like there really was a satisfying um, yeah. wrap up to all of that. When in this case, like, like, like what you said about Schizo and his past, like like those those are details of his character that were not shown to you and not like kind of forced upon you and like and maybe it's better yeah. for that because maybe I then mean, it would be too bloated yeah. too you know but it it doesn't it doesn't land home as well as maybe it well could I have. mean you know like Schizo does Schizo come off any worse than say Mika Bell in Red Dead Redemption Two you know there's another character who just feels like totally at odds with normality you know a complete another psychopath yeah. and, and somebody who enjoys the sort of the, the nature of chaos and stuff but he was like I don't know uh, yeah like I said I, I, I think that the the performance perfectly suits mm. the character it's just I'm not sure For that sure, the character yeah. is is inserted in the best way I, I don't know mm. I, I I don't think that he's that he's used badly. I just think they could have done more with him possibly. Yeah, I think, yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, speaking of uh, characters that you are just set up to really dislike right from the beginning, uh, let's talk about the last area that you visit in the game, which is uh, Diamond Lake uh, and Wizard Island. They're kind of the, the same type of thing that's run by a straight-up militia group um, headed by Colonel Garrett. Um, they... Uh, they they go pretty heavy on the um on the psychotic dictator here. Well, it's not even that he's psychotic. It's that he is very set in the military religious way. Um he oof, he he gave me kind of the shivers from the beginning, but um I I I think that you were supposed to have questions about Colonel Garrett going in. Um which are only really confirmed as you continue. Um, so what were your impressions of uh, Colonel Garrett upon coming into the area? I hated this guy with a passion, honestly. Yeah. The, the moment you introduce anybody <laughs> who's just this Bible-thumping zealot into any kind of game, I just want to instantly get rid of this person. And I, I almost felt that it was not quite um, satisfying that he ended the game getting poisoned by Sarah, when really what I wanted to do is take my thumbs and push them into his orbital <laughs> sockets until until he stopped breathing. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, I really like that the game, I mean, I hated Colonel Garrett, but I love how the game made you attend his sermons. Yeah. Like, I, that really, like, that was a really, I think, kind of brilliant touch of, I mean, it was really hammering yeah, yeah. home the insanity of this guy's zealotry. Well, it, it no ramps doubt, up, doesn't it? So, I mean, he's, it, you know, he yeah. starts with just a few mentions of God's plan and stuff to like full on like. <laughs> so it, and every time like, he yeah. gives these these sermons, I mean, he's giving them in front of a noose. Like literally, there is this noose yeah. in sight all yeah. the time in this camp yeah. because he's looking for an excuse. It's it's a Noah facsimile, isn't it? So he's trying to create the Ark as well, and it's just like, oh god, yeah. really? Are we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and and the fact that it, you literally can't physically walk away from them, like I just there's something about that to me. Like every time I was like, okay, attend Colonel Garrett's, Garrett's speech. I was like, like I hated it, but I marched down to go see it, and I had to like like play the game because I wanted to get back together with my wife, and I wanted to get out of here. Like so, I need to entrench myself. It, it really. I could feel the cultishness of it in the way that I couldn't with yeah. some of the other um, some of the other factions. So I did really like that as much. I liked how much it made me hate that. They that really went sense. heavy on the yeah. uh, the apocalypse now slash heart of darkness thing. Yeah. You know that that's that's what I kept thinking of is like I they they really just this guy is. He, he is so in charge that nobody dares question him for fear of what he's going to do to them. And yeah, it's just, it's really rough at that point. And, and I mean, he's one guy. If all of these people decided that he is crazy and should be removed from power, yeah. then he would not be able to stop all of them. But he has such a hold on this camp that it's, it's frightening because you can see that happening in mm -hmm. a lot of real world places uh shall we say <laughs> um yeah i mean i think it's there's also a, an interesting sort of counterbalance with the camp as well because there's a lot of really cool characters there mm -hmm. um you know you you meet weaver who's this kind of you know chemist or whatever who's got a lot of character in there and obviously sarah's there but also and here's the thing that i really really liked well actually i really loved it about the game 
every little merchant that you got, well, in particular, so the weapon merchants and the bounty merchants Mm -hmm. have characters and they have incidental conversations that you'll have. Even when you first go to Copeland's camp, there's a woman there. Oh, and I can't remember her name. Is it Maria or something? Anyway, you get into this conversation with her and, and and it's it's obviously referencing something that's happened off game, if you will, where mm-hmm. you've promised to take her when you guys when you and Boozer ride north, you've promised to ta- that she can come with you and stuff. And the, there's this kind of she knows you're joking, but you get the impression that it's just this little banter between them. But mm-hmm. you, then you go to you know Hot Springs and Blair, who sells the weapons. There's conversations there where you get the impression she's got a bit of a thing for Deacon, but you know. Uh, and I just love that. Oh, everybody How- wants to get up on Deacon. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, yeah, but then, then you go to um, Wizard Island and the guy who sells the guns, and for the life of me now, I, can't, I was literally playing it this morning. The I Canadian guy? Oh, no, no, no. It's, uh, oh, shoot. Yeah, he no, I He ran a exactly radio station about. thing about, yes. um, yeah, and, and stuff. And, um, and then also, like, I think it's the bike guy at Diamond Lake Camp, uh, which is Curry's Camp. You go in and, and, is it that one? No, I forget which one it is. No, it's Wizard Island camp where the mechanic says that he knew you prior to the downfall of civilization. Yes. And he was always envious of you guys riding the bikes and stuff. But he's like, you know, if you need anything, all this. And it's it's just filler. It's purely there for no reason. Like, it's just there as a little bit of something to listen to whilst you go through the inventory and pick your new bits for your bike and stuff. Yeah, I, but, we we mentioned before that like we thought it was a little heavy on the incidental dialogue. This is kind of the reverse of that. Yeah. Like it's 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 stuff that fills in the world without feeling too throwaway. Like it, essentially, it is pretty throwaway, but like it yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel like it. It kind of makes the world feel a little bit more connected. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yes, it make, it yeah. Just, whole is a good. Yeah, word. it's like you know these are now people with names and characters. Names I can't mm-hmm. remember, but it's like well a few, but. <laughs> But, you know, each one of them is different. Each one of them has this incidental conversations with you. And they vary depending on, you know, when you come in. You know, there's Yumi, um, who you find is a, uh, she was studying, she's from Japan and she was studying in the US when everything went to hell. And so she's now working, doing the bounties for Diamond Light Camp and stuff like that. She was ex-Nero, so on, because uh, what she was studying. And it's just like, you know, they put so much work into this. And, and this is what I really, it's one of the, the things that really sort of made me um, like adore this game in a lot of ways. Because I thought a lot of the time you do this stuff, this kind of, these kind of characters are just, they, they don't bother. You know, they're just mm. faceless, nameless vendors, you know, and that's as, as far as it goes. But they put so much work into each one of them having this individuality and personality. You know, there's like, they all do it. And it's, yeah, I found that stuff to be the most interesting. When you go to the camps, it's like, you know, who's these guys? Oh, this guy. And the conversations sometimes were quite funny. Mm -hmm. So one last kind of, uh, it's not an area, I I guess a a contingent uh, that that I wanted to talk about before we get into uh, specifics of the gameplay uh, we've already covered a lot of them, but uh, just to kind of wrap up there, um, is Nero. Um, so Nero is Nero. The National Emergency Response Organization um, is basically the uh, crew that took over once the uh, the apocalypse happened, uh, sort of. Um, 
they are still studying to try and figure out what happened, how they can bring it under control. Uh, and they're not exactly good guys. Uh, in fact, most of the time, if they actually see you, they will just straight up kill you. You cannot fight them. Uh, you, when you actually get into close quarters with them, you actually just kind of have to stealth around them or they will immediately kick you out. Uh, however, you do get into contact with uh, one of them, uh, whose name is O'Brien. This is the person who you essentially hand off your wife to at the beginning of the game uh, to get her on a helicopter and get her out of the situation. She's been uh, stabbed, so she is very badly wounded at this point. She takes off on the helicopter, and you do not see her again until much, much, much later. Um, and the in the interim, uh, O'Brien, you find him again, essentially, and uh, you work with him grudgingly to get more information about where your wife might be, if she is still alive. Uh, so... O'Brien and Nero, um, this is another piece of the very large puzzle that, uh, that uh, Days Gone kind of presents. Um, so were they effective, realistic? Uh, what did you guys think? I, so I, I'm of two minds about these sections. Man, I wanted I, to punch it, O'Brien. It's my favorite... S- <laughs> it's my favorite story parts of the game mm-hmm. are normally fueled by these missions like you know you kind of get drip fed information about what happened to your wife about the camp that she was at uh, that was overrun by freakers um, you kind of uh, learn more about the organization that's so that's trying to get the world back on track or at least that's what you're kind of led to believe but also O'Brien's got this level of like fear and sadness associated with him too that like and also self-serving like like oh he's not quite sure what his motivations are exactly for sure um but you're kind of finding out more about what's going on in the country as a whole like through these missions i found that stuff very interesting but unfortunately for me that was coupled with my least favorite gameplay in in days gone which was the stealth some of these stealth missions sneaking around the nero guys were i i I just purely unlikable from my perspective and but they always were accompanied by the next leg of what i really wanted to find out was what happened to sarah and 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 moving forward that part of the story so i like i look back on them a little fondly but the the actual playing of them i found to be quite a chore yeah i i agree with that um i i found the stealth in the game to be uh largely forgiving but not entirely forgiving um and that as as brian says mostly uh did center around the Nero missions. There were other points at which you could utilize the stealth, but you didn't necessarily have to. These were mandatory stealth missions. You could not be seen. You could not fight your way out. Uh, and that's something that I generally don't care for in games a whole lot. Um, but that's where you get most of the, this is how it happened. And this is why it happened uh, that, that you do get. Uh, so kind of worth it. Kind of mm. not. I don't know. Yeah, I've got mixed thoughts on it, really, because I think, um, so Nero is a non-governmental organization, so it's not part of the United mm-hmm. States government, it's a, a body that exists in preparation for something like uh, the virus that goes along. What I don't quite understand is why we've got a subplot about a man who works for a non-governmental organization, and you're required to spy on him against the organization that he works for and that never gets resolved and in fact it's actually a massive um cliffhanger at the end of the sort of post 
post-credit sequence where you mm. find out that O'Brien, spoiler, ho- well, hopefully we can spoil this at this point. Oh, this O'Brien, I would say so, yes. <laughs> o- o- O'Brien is uh, a person who himself is infected with the with the virus and he is uh, demonstrating some of the physicality of somebody who's uh, infected with the virus in the same way that the freakers are, except he has his cognition. He can think and show intelligence in the same way as a human can. I actually think that scene's really cool, actually, because it shows where he's kind of fighting against it. There's a lot of his gesticulation, which shows that he's actually struggling with the virus itself. And just from like a plot perspective, it's really interesting because what he says is that they're coming and you can't stop them. But what you're not aware of is whether that's the freakers and the virus or if it's the organization itself. So it kind of neatly sets us up for a sequel. Kind of wonder if uh, if we're going to see that, but um, we can talk about that in our wrap ups. But um, yeah, no, I, I, it's I I like a lot of how they set up it it's a hopelessness thing that isn't complete necessarily, but it's it's it, it does leave questions, as you say. I guess I'll just kinda leave my thought there. <laughs> but what I will say is like I'm conditioned to the point when I see O'Brien, you know you get an exposition, you know you're moving forward in the plot as well, so in many ways I'm just relieved. Yeah, this is true. So I want to talk about the uh, some of the gameplay elements that that we haven't touched upon yet, uh, and to lead into that, I want to um, wrap up the story bits a little bit with one more piece from Deadpool Negative. It says, uh, I think one of the points the game's story tries to argue is that you can't go it alone. Deacon St. John is not perfect, he may not even be a good man, but in a world as ravaged as the world of Days Gone, he turns out to be the man it needs. He may desire the open road and the wind in his face with only Boozer at his side and a gun on his hip. But when it finally came time to defend the people who needed defending, when he learned there were threats bigger than just the Freakers, men like Garrett and their madnesses, and by the end, he's pretty much become the new Iron Mike. He didn't want to be a leader. He didn't want to be part of this world. But as the tagline said, the world came for him and he's at peace with it. And as the game's final epilogue reveals, Deacon St. John's story is just beginning. I guess you could say this first game was good, but a sequel, if it happens, could be great. Overall, Days Gone has a familiar, if solid, gameplay loop that falters more than it should, but it's a gameplay loop I keep coming back to in my mind. There was something to getting on that bike, doing a mental check of what I needed to do to set up the next mission, how much gas I needed to travel, nervously turning my headlight off so as not to attract any freakers. It's little details like this that make this game memorable. Um, so we've talked some about, uh, well, we just talked about the, the stealth, um, but uh, how did you guys feel about the actual combat in, uh, in Days Gone? Uh, I, it's it's satisfying uh i i thought for the most part when you actually hit things but it can also be pretty frustrating um i i'm not sure i always loved that balance but i'm interested to hear uh what you guys think i really like the combat from the sense that it, it felt genuine to me like um and what i mean by that it, it felt like you were controlling a pretty athletic guy who was pretty strong but also wasn't a superhero Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like the way he swung weapons and the way that when he would miss, like he would kind of st- stumble and like, and like if, if the freaker kind of got the upper hand on him, like, I just felt like it was a, like, obviously I don't think it's realistic that one guy could just tromp through the wilderness and kill zombie bears. <laughs> but I do think that the way that he reacted to those situations and the way that like, like how you could kind of get in and get out of combat. But a, a lot of the combat that I found in the game was just running away and taking zombies out kind of freakers out one by one and kind of leading them off the pack and that felt as believable as that situation is can be i felt like it it represented that pretty well he's got great cardio 
Yeah, I thought the, um, the combat was pretty serviceable, and that feels like I'm damning it with fame praise. But actually, you know, I just appreciate that it worked in the first instance. Um, I did a lot of combat rules just to try and get away from sort of errand hands and such like that. But I think the one area that the combat really fails in is there's a part of the, the game, and I don't know if it's embedded in like a main story, but when you are trying to take on anything that is in the air, so there's infected crows, it, it is like infuriatingly frustrating because it doesn't work birds are jerks yeah (laughs) always yeah there's there's really the (laughs) only the only sort of surefire way to deal with them is from distance with the crossbow and the flaming arrows because the thing is with the crows you don't need to kill them you need to destroy their nests and they fly off yeah, and nest, so yeah. once you figure that, it's just keep it at range. So it's just use the crossbow with the incendiary bolts, and that was it. It's like they are like probably now the easiest point in to deal with because you can do them. You know, in fact, that once you get the crossbow and incendiaries, that's perfect for even the nests and stuff. I really loved taking on freakers, and all too often that stuff would it, the, my heart would be racing when there's more than you know, a dozen of them. Or, mm-hmm. you know, as as you have the different types. So the moment you come across a screamer, which, you know, they're all kind of familiar tropes in a sense because uh, you look at Left 4 Dead and every one of these types is is in that game as well. The, mm-hmm. the tanks, the, the screamers, or I can't remember the witches equivalent, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, the moment that you... Uh, there's a set scene moment where it's scripted where you encounter this for the first time as you walk out of a house and one of them is in front of you and she screams and then like a dozen of them just basically her scream will bring in everything that's in that area. Um, And yeah, like that's a scripted moment. The first time you encounter them, the later scenes can result in far more if you happen to be near a horde or a swarm when this happens. It can be truly like heart-racingly terrifying. I loved playing uh, playing off against the freakers because you could it was that thing where you'd have to check the surroundings first to check where they are how many are in you know and you'd be looking you'd be waiting to see if you could hear them in buildings because there's nothing worse than like oh he's on his own i'll just run up and start blasting him with the shotgun and then suddenly there's dozens pouring out of the nearest building and you're just like oh you know and then you're just like looking for the nearest exit and it's always that thing where the moment you realize you're blocked in or you've got you're in a dead end and it's just like oh crap you know that 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 i love the way this game made me feel when i was playing against this stuff the moment you go into um what's it called Sherman's Camp, which is the probably the, one of the bigger sort of towns you've got in the game, mm-hmm. and there's two buildings on either side of the road. And if you go in the road, like if you go during the day, they're it, they're packed full of nest. There's a load of nests in that area if you've not cleared it out. And there's there's a there's a small, a relatively small horde in there as well. And yeah, when they come pouring out through the windows, through the doors and stuff, it's like, oh man, this is, it was, it, without a doubt, this is what I loved about this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree completely. Yeah, AI on the, um, the free guys was really like thrilling because yeah. they don't just sort of form an orderly queue and allow you to sort of mow them down. They kind of disperse <laughs> in, in like a fan and it gets to a point where, like, if 300 has taught me anything, it's don't funnel people into the hot <laughs> gates because you will end up dying. It, it just completely overwhelms you, and it's just one of those situations where it's, it's just an absolute thrill from beginning to end. 
we have a couple of uh, pieces of correspondence that I'm going to read um, specifically about the hordes. Um, the problem that I had when encountering those kinds of situations was if I messed something up, it was kind of an immediate fail state almost because it will tell you in the tooltips, sometimes it's better to run. You can't run from a horde. You, you just can't. Like, they will keep following you and they are faster than you. Uh, even on, I was playing on one of the easier difficulties and even there, like, it's, it's rough. Um, and maybe... I, I was thinking maybe I was just bad at the game, but I don't I don't know if I am. I I, I, I feel that it's I, I managed to take out one horde, um, and it was pretty early on and it was not one of the required ones. Mm. Um I, I and that took me a while because I had to keep kind of pulling off chunks, which I think is what they want you to do in order to take that. Because I mean if you if you alert all of them at once, it is very difficult to recover from that. Um, I never managed it, so I don't even know if you can. I assume that there's probably a way if you're better at it than me. But um, but yeah, it's it's tough to to deal with more than a handful at a time, or at least I found it to be very tough. Yeah, I think there's there's a real like you can't ever just wing it with a horde. No, like you, and even with some of the larger swarms, because. When you burn out nests sometimes, too, you get, yeah. it's not a full-on well, horde, but you get a lot of them. Uh, yeah, again, depending out. on the time of day, which is yeah. what I like. If you burn them mm -hmm. at night, there's less in there. If you burn them yes. during the day, you'll get way more coming out of it, which I liked that because it added a certain strategy to, mm -hmm. you know, how brave you were going to be or whether, you know, basically what weapons you're carrying. Because if you've got like, you know, I don't know. If your melee weapon is down to like 20%, you're going to get maybe three of them down with that, and then it's going to break, and then you're in mm -hmm. trouble. And yeah. I loved all this sort of – because the thing about this as well, it, 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 the hordes are kind of one element. To, it's the kind of thing that you're working towards with this, but even just yeah. the swarms. Like you can go into an area, and there can be a dozen of them all milling around. Now, the moment they see – the moment you make yourself – your presence known to them, they will all come towards you. And yeah. even that in itself can be like, you know, heart racing, sort of like you're looking for exits, you're looking for ways out. And I felt that w when I played this, it was always like I always had to check my surroundings first, look for where I can get out, leave my bike facing the correct way out of oh, an God, area. Oh, God, that bit me a couple of times, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I would purposely set my bike up for a, if I need to sprint down this road, jump on my bike and just tear off, like mm -hmm. get away from them. Cause, and there were so many times I would just have to run because there was no either, especially the first time you play this, because you haven't got the skill sets, you haven't got the equipment, yeah. you, you're limited on everything and you haven't. And what I love, this is where I, I genuinely love this stuff about the game, the survival elements of this, where you had to scavenge for scrap to fix your bike so even running into, you know, freakers that are in the road, you know, you do it because this is what video games are taught. It's just mow them down. But then next thing, your bike's smoking and you're not getting yeah. anywhere near as fast as you need to to get away yeah. from stuff because you've and been smashing And they will attack in. you. Like, yeah. they, they will hit you right off your bike if oh, you, yeah. if I you mean, yes. run towards the Oh, yeah, the yeah. Ones. Being in your vehicle does not yeah. make you safe. Yeah, yeah, if they get close enough, there's... There's different types. There's a there's a red type that the covered in blood. They will actively leap at you if they get mm -hmm. close. As so you drive past them, if you're going too slow, they'll take you straight off your bike. And the, all that the kind wolves. Of stuff. I don't remember if they have 
a specific name, but like the infected the runners. That, yeah. yeah, runners. Yes, uh, they will. They're yeah. faster than you most yeah. of the time yeah. and can easily catch up to you and take you down off your bike. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the game's quite accommodating with them because you'll immediately go into like aiming at them with your firearm. Yeah. And so it's like they just start pumping bullets. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just start shooting. <laughs> it's yeah. like just because you picturing you Deacon like running down the road, just riding down the road, just screaming and firing yeah. behind him. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Um, the the horde battles I really enjoyed too. Um, and they, they come so late in the game. I know it's a common complaint, but they 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 really do get get there a little too late to to have that big that big moment kind of be the centerpiece of the game. In fact, it's almost, it's almost end game content. Uh, more yeah. Than, it, than in-game yeah content. I, I do agree with you on that, but I feel like it needed to build up to this where I feel that oh, what they sure. should, cause yeah. I, I, I've seen that complaint a few times on a few people where they're saying that left it too late for this big, the thing that they sold the game on, you don't get to maybe 60 hours in where you can actually take them on. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, yeah, but I'd encountered them so many times up until then. And they were terrified. There's nothing, yeah. Yeah. you know, like uh, there's one particular camp. There's um, it's near Copeland's area. It's in the sort of northern part of the map. There is a train line running. That's next the one to that it. I managed to yeah, actually yeah. take so, down. Yep. Yeah, there's an MMU <laughs> yep. camp. So the idea being that uh, these MMUs are where you get your upgrades. So you find these neuro injectors that basically you can do your stamina, health, and what's the focus. So. You can you need to find these to clear that, and they kind of give you a spawn point if it's a large enough um, base of operations. But there's one of these that's right next to a train line. On the train, there's a disused loads of disused uh, carriages packed. Well, again, it depending on what time. If you go in there during the day, they're packed full of freakers because it's a horde in there. Now, what I loved about this, and this is always set my this, it just got me so tense playing it because. You, you go through this camp and they've got these little porter cabins. They've got electronic locks. So you need to turn on the generator. So you have to find fuel first, fill it up, and then you hit that button. Now, if you haven't gone onto the roofs of these places and took out the loudspeakers, the tannoy yeah. system, <laughs> the tannoy system will bring everything down on you. Yep. And the first time you miss the speaker, and there's ones of that particular camp has a speaker. There's a little like um, road checkpoint box. Uh, little cabin that's underneath the bridge itself and there was a speaker on that that and i i've i've been recent i've been playing the new game plus recently and i missed it again on this playthrough <laughs> totally didn't and it's the moment deacon hits that button and you can hear the generator kick in and then he goes oh god damn it that's gonna bring them all down on me and i'm just like <laughs> what the hell did i miss <laughs> like i thought i cleared yeah. it. but that feeling when you can hear them all like rearing up and just pouring out of the tent like my heart was like, da, 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 da. <laughs> I'm like looking for my bike and just getting the hell out of there. And you can hear them right behind you when you're running and you can't do that kind of reverse camera thing. Cause the chances are you're going to screw it yeah. up and turn around <laughs> and you're going to be facing them. So for the hordes for the horde, uh, <laughs> world of Warcraft joke there. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have a, a couple of specific pieces of feedback uh, regarding the hordes. Uh, one from Deadpool Negative who says, I tried once, twice, three times, ten times, and over and over again I could barely make a dent in the horde. I would run away, I would try to redirect, but I'd get off my bike, position myself, lure some freakers to a bottleneck or quarter, and success. But I could never take out enough for me to protect myself long enough to get back on my bike and get away. 
I tried strategically attacking certain areas, but I could never make any progress. The AI for the hordes would simply outmaneuver me. My guns were never powerful enough, the napalms never had enough spread. And then the game lets me skip them. It lets me skip the story required horde takedowns. I really needed to finish the game and move on to other things, so I shamefully moved on. I don't know if I'm just clumsy or needed to practice more, but here's the game's big standout set piece, and I cannot do it. Uh, similar to what I had. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. I tried, I tried, I tried. I took down that one that wasn't even a story one and then skipped the others. Um, and then the second piece is from Simon Sloth, who has a slightly different uh, opinion here. A special mention must go to the hordes, which were an intense, stressful endurance test. They were so thrilling, I often saved gameplay videos to watch back and marvel at how I managed to even take them down, usually by the skin of my teeth. Even fully stocked and equipped, these are very challenging. You can't hide, you can barely stop to take a breath. Run out of equipment and you'll have to scavenge and craft whilst a hundred freakers pour through the doors, windows, and ceiling like some sort of unnatural nightmare river. I do feel the end of the game was poorly considered as several consecutive were horde takedown missions. I did genuinely get some morbid satisfaction from leading a horde right into an enemy camp whilst I watched chaos ensue. <laughs> this glee would quickly, quickly turn to fear, though, as once they are finished with them, their attentions would turn to me when I was often ill-prepared. Emergent moments like this were the only parts that justified the open world setting to me. Um, so yeah, a little uh, little echo there of, uh, of what uh, we were talking about before with uh, kind of... Uh, setting your enemies against each other. Um, I I happen to agree with the um, the the bit about uh, not caring for the fact that they were multiple missions towards the end. Uh, I don't have a problem with these things coming towards the end. It's that they were mandatory missions uh, that apparently weren't that important because you could actually skip them. Like I I liked that you could skip them, but I would have liked it better if they were maybe multiple approaches like you didn't have to kill the entire mm-hmm. horde if you could figure out another way to do something that that's i think that's right. my main issue with most stealth games really is yeah. that i will try but if i mess up the stealth I, it would be nice if there were something else that i could do um and and maybe that's something harder but uh, like here i felt like well, as I said before, I felt like if I messed something up, it was just over. I might as well just start again because there's there's really no recovering from the entire horde seeing me at once. I I viewed these as kind of like puzzle challenges yeah. to me more yeah. than anything. It reminded me of a puzzle game more than anything else. It's just a very violent and bloody one. Um, but <laughs> like my my um, I found myself thinking about like stri- uh, strategizing ways that I normally don't with these types of games. Like like I would kind of set up a proximity mine maze and then try to lead the horde through it at first and like the different tactics seem to work out for different scenarios um i really enjoyed these but i also will say i enjoyed it in the way that i enjoy a good bloodborne boss fight Mm. in which it's remarkably frustrating i beat my head against for 10 times and then the 11th time where it all works out according to plan i pretend that i wasn't just pissed off for the last hour (laughs) like like (laughs) you know what i mean like 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 oh it was so satisfying but like in reality it was like it definitely was some like controller controller gripping frustrating moments um but um but in general i i found the challenge to be um to to be to be good in the end i did find though uh, to to um echo what um simon sloth just said that a lot of times it was as much resource management as anything else too mm-hmm. uh because sure. you could quickly run out of bullets oh, bombs you, you never else, and, never have enough yeah, ne- stuff it's like nope never yeah, yeah. Um, I played the um, the hordes like Benny Hill, just run away from them, <laughs> just out of uh, reach, and do things like 
jump through windows that they can't get through or close doors yeah. behind yourself and all that sort of good stuff. So I found it to be quite entertaining. Um, the Hordes is kind of my, my abiding memory of the game and it's the one aspect of the game that I would love for everybody to experience and perhaps mm. that's going to change the mind of, of maybe a pretty tawdry first 20 hours. I think what the game should have done really was kind of give you a, a sort of introduce you to the Horde a lot earlier than it does. And I feel like let it be known that you need to be, that you don't stand a chance against these. So there's a sense, it, it does maybe about halfway through where you first really encounter them. But um, it's not for, you know, maybe three quarters of the game until you actually get to take one on where it's this big set piece moment where you have to take it on. And that whole area is very orchestrated and very scripted in terms of giving you plenty of stuff that goes boom in the area. <laughs> so there's lots of, you had a, well, it looks like a, a trucker stop petrol station slash bar or whatever. There's, you know, big, um, big trucks there, 18 wheelers or whatever, all with some of which are packed full of fuel and there's fuel cans, uh, you know, there's lots of uh, fuel oil drums and fuel drums sitting around and, you know, tankers and stuff that you can attach explosives to and, and all that. But what I found, even though I'm going in fully tooled up, you can never actively predict how you how they're going to react. And that's where it, it always feels like you can maybe plan about 60% of this combat and the rest is down to you improvising and, and have it being aware of your surroundings. So it's like, See what buildings you can get into. Have they got windows that they can get into as well? Yeah. If not, have they got an exit? You know, how are you going to get out of that building if they start coming into it? And there was all that kind of stuff. So the first time I went through, went around that whole area, around that all that trucks, looking for every possible point of entry, exit, and yeah, the whole sort of. And all the time I'm doing this, I'm getting more and more tense because I know at some point I got to kick it off. And then it's like, then it's a free for all. And it never went anywhere near. Like, the thing is, I'd like carefully laid out all these explosive proximity mines next to every fuel canister to maximize the explosive damage and stuff and to set as many of them on fire. <laughs> and then half of them never even got detonated because the, the horde didn't go anywhere near them. It did, and that's my fault as well because I would panic and run off in a completely different direction <laughs> and they'd all follow me. And the next thing I'm like going into the truck stop, slamming all the doors shut and they're all pouring through the windows. I'm looking for the, you know, immediately I'm out the back door, shutting that. They're pouring out of the sides of the building. I'm like running in the river trying to get away from it. And it was just, and you can't really do the whole turn around and start shooting it. The only time you want to I mean, use you your can, guns, on, but you can, <laughs> but they are so quick to get on yeah. top of you. You, you like panic. It, you, it sets the panic even more. It was a case that I would never. I the way I look at it now, and I went through every horde in the on the map. I killed everything, but it was like, and I uh, to me this was this is my takeaway from this game. I love taking them on because it never felt like it was the same fight twice. Every time, I mean, the initial area is very, as I said, very scripted for you to fight them. But some of them, there's one in particular, which is in the university. Um, so in the, the football field of the university, there oh, is yeah. a board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> this, this one, I tried this earlier and I did it. Uh, well, how it goes is there are two other hordes within the vicinity, just on the outskirts of this. So if you run in the wrong direction, you're not only being chased by one, but you can end <laughs> up with three hordes triggered off at the same time. And you are just panicking. And these things are ridiculous. Because you think, 
when are these things going to give up? And then you realise they that, don't. Yeah. Well, this is it. They'll chase you I mean, if you're on foot. Good luck trying to get away from them. But it's like because you know you're watching your stamina deplete as well. So you've got to have enough like replenishment for that because that's the main that'll get you killed without any question. You know, and it was just like trying to thin the numbers down, and then yeah, I I. I, f- I ran for what felt like hours today because I was trying to, like, my bike was still in the university grounds. I got totally cut off from it. Couldn't get anywhere near it. And I ended up running out the main gates, running down the road, triggering another horde, then running all the way to a petrol station where there was a marauder camp. And it was just like, you know, they lasted like seconds with these things. But it was like, I was constantly trying to like double, double around to get back to my bike just because I wanted to get away from it. But it was like, I was, equally just entranced by how clever this this guy this thing could be at times just the way that they would just you know you think you you turn around and you think oh god thank god i've lost them and then they'd be just pouring out of the trees and you're like oh for crying out loud (laughs) like but yeah i I just loved it i loved the combat with this stuff it 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 felt fresh every time you could you know some were more stressful than others but yeah, like the the more open the space was, the more of a problem it became because there was less cover, less buildings. There's one in a big open body pit where you've got yeah. a lot of fuel tanks and stuff, but it's just big open space. So once they're on you, it's like you literally have to drive them around with your bike on that one because if you're on foot, you are dead. But mm. God damn, I love this stuff. I, I genuinely I love it. <laughs> cool. Okay, so anything else on Horde specifically or combat in general that we want to bring up? I don't have anything more impassioned to say than that. So <laughs> I, I uh... think that's a pretty good place to uh, <laughs> to to leave it. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, we differing opinions. I I'm way into the the enthusiasm there. I I wish that I had had that good of a time with the Hordes. Um, I I think that it might just be. I, I, I did not dislike those sections. I just think that it wasn't for me, really. I think that I just had a problem with it. No, I, um, I, I, I do agree with you. I think if there's one particular flaw that the game has, and I think it, it's something that sh- could have possibly been addressed by basically following Red Dead's Redemption. What I found was there was a few missions in this game, and the very first time I had to take on that horde, this happened, which is... You're not given preparation time for which kit you take into the fight yeah. with you. And I found that the very first time, I would often take a sniper rifle with me because I, I liked taking things out from a distance if I could. And also for things like the, the heavy, the tanks, the... Um, uh, oh, I can't remember the, the... Whatever, anyway. The first time I went into the, um, the Horde fight, I ended up having to restart that and basically quit the mission and, and go back to the base and swap out my sniper rifle for an LMG because I thought the sniper was absolutely useless in this situation. And what I felt they could have done was do the whole kind of Red Dead Redemption thing where you have the full, maybe not realistically, but you've got your, your weapon set on the bike, if you will, where you could have swapped stuff out on the fly because I felt that there's several times where I would just go in with totally inappropriate weaponry and I would have to quit the mission in order to reset it to go in with something that would actually get yeah. me through the mission. Mm-hmm. So going back to what you're saying, Leo, I think there's, there's definitely points where you can, you can box yourself in with the kit you've got um, that are, uh, you're basically doomed to fail every time because you're just not, you're, you're not equipped to take on certain things. Yeah, that, 
I definitely agree with that. My my general um, approach to uh, combat encounters with large numbers were, was kind of throw a tractor, wait until they go there, <laughs> then throw a bunch of bombs on them. Like, I mean, it, <laughs> it worked to an extent, but obviously not well enough. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think overall we had pretty decent, uh, opinions of the combat. Um, so let's move on a little bit, uh, to some three word reviews. Uh, we usually put out the call for these on Twitter at Canaan Rinse, the day of recording. And, uh, we ask you to sum up your feelings on the game in just three words. Brian. Stan Shaw says plotting reanimated mechanics. Uh, Jordan Reese, rare PlayStation stumble. Lee Doherty says no fuel again. Smegan the Head says cheap Romero knockoff. Laura King says technically flawed fun. So not not the most positive three word reviews, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. We we welcome any and all opinions. Um, so. I think that I've maybe got a reasonable order of uh, of summaries here. Uh, I I know I I know I nailed the first one and the last one. <laughs> Middle two uh, a little bit a little bit sketchy, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, so um, summarizing thoughts on Days Gone. I'm gonna go first. Uh, I liked Days Gone. I did not love Days Gone. Um, I, as I've said, I I think that it felt a little too bloated for me, uh, and in particular, the beginning of the game, it just felt like it took forever to get to a point where I was really invested in the story. Uh, once I became invested in the story, uh, there was a lot to like. I, um, I liked the, even if I didn't like the characters as people i suppose i still liked how they were written um i liked how they interacted with each other the story was um not always perfect but i uh i enjoyed the ride and i i I don't know if there are plans for a sequel that are uh, particularly active at this point uh given the not overwhelming reception i would expect not but then again the sales numbers were pretty good so uh maybe so um I guess we'll see in the future, but uh, I I enjoyed most of the mechanics, uh, and the ones that I didn't enjoy were relatively easy to get around uh, eventually. So um, yeah, I I I'm glad that I played Days Gone, and I'm glad that the recording came around, so I kind of had uh, a a motivating factor to play Days Gone. Um, as I kind of alluded to way back at the beginning, I don't know if I would have played this on my own. Um, at least not right i i would have played it eventually probably but uh, not right this second i it's i i hesitate to say that it's for everybody um i think that it's um it, it's not just another zombie knockoff there is enough to it that i uh i'm comfortable saying that it's not a situation of if you've played one zombie game you've played them all um, and there are other games and stories that I might lump into this category, but this isn't one of them. Uh, I, I think that there's enough to like in the story that it's probably worth, um, you know, kind of kind of going uh, through and seeing if it catches you. Um, and if the gameplay loop is something that you enjoy, then it gets better after the first 20 or so hours. Um, 
that's that's a little harsh but um yeah it's i i've seen copies uh on the playstation store for uh pretty reasonable prices it's often on sale um so yeah if if anything we've we've said has uh stricken your fancy and uh and you haven't played days gone yet i i think it's worth a look um like I said, maybe not for everybody, but uh, I enjoyed my time with it. I just wish it had been a little bit um, less chunky in spots. Um, but uh, I guess that's that's okay. Brian, what do you think? <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm going to use a, a very overused and meme response to oh, this good. game to, to summarize <laughs> my, um, to my thoughts on it. Uh, there was a very popular uh, video and tweet and meme that went around uh, when this game launched. It's a scene from uh, Deke and Sarah's wedding okay. where yes. in her vows, <laughs> she says, um, you have to promise to ride me as much as you ride your motorcycle. <laughs> I'm glad someone brought uh, it up. <laughs> and and it came around and, was, and everybody was really like dogging it, myself included, had not played the game for me. Like, man, that's terrible writing. And like, what a way to portray women in games. And, and, and I agreed with all of it. Um, then I played Days Gone. And what that scene was actually about is that Sarah came from kind of more of an intellectual side. She was a scientist. She worked uh, for like a, a relatively uh, prominent government organization. And Deacon was just kind of saw himself in this common biker guy. But they found a mutual love and respect for one another and, and, and built this relationship. And on this long walk they have in this one long story section of the game, she says to him um, when they're talking about their potential marriage that she just doesn't want to have a biker wedding ceremony where he says something cliche like, I promise to ride you as much as I ride my motorcycle. When you just watch that video that I saw in April of that year and said, oh my God, that and just and dismissed it at that, you could dismiss Days Gone as just another zombie game, another open world game, another game where the hero guy does the hero things and gets the girl and all the, all the cliches and tropes. But when you put some time into Days Gone and kind of get beneath the surface layer of what you think Days Gone is, I found myself involved in a story that I became oddly emotionally invested in, which I, I don't do very often. I found gameplay mechanics and and a world that like really suited me for all the things I like about an open world game. I found compelling reasons to go out and do extra things. I found a relationship with my bike the same way I felt about the relationship with my horse in Red Dead Redemption. I just feel that there's so much good going on in this game just below the surface. And for some people, it takes you know the first 20 hours to get into it. For some people, it's getting past some of the, like, even things that I had problems with, like some naming conventions and some dialogue things. We talked about the incidental dialogue earlier that can sometimes bring you out of the moment. But in reality, I think once you get past the surface layer, your, your, your initial snapshot view of this game, what's underneath is like a 60-hour experience that I ended up just loving. Like, there are... It's a game. It's truly an an overused phrase, but it's it's more than the sum of its parts. There are parts of this game that I could nitpick and say this is bad or I don't like this or I don't want that. But when I look back on Days Gone from last year, it's easily in my top ten games of 2019. And I think that it's very easy, especially now with the types of games that come out, to kind of to put it on a shelf of open world zombie like games and forget about it. And in reality, when you get down to playing it all the way through i think you get an experience that's relatively unforgettable and not because it's breaking the mold or, or doing anything wildly different but it just does so many things so well that by the end of it i found myself going back into the end game stuff because 60 hours of it wasn't as much of it as i wanted to play so um yeah i recommend it it's not for everybody like leah said but i do think if you, once you kind of get past that initial screen 
like of what you might think the game is, you're going to find there's a lot more to it than you originally thought. At least that's the experience that I had. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, Rich. So when I think of Days Gone, the first thing that comes to me is, as I said at the beginning, the the kind of way that it was released. So Sony really hit it hard. It was given the same release timeline as like God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, Uncharted 4. And I think expectations were really high among a lot of people. So to find that a lot of the reviews came out to be quite tepid might be in some way related to that. Um, I actually thought it was like a really glorious game for some uh, company's first foray into kind of AAA development since PS1 Siphon Filter. But it is a, a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, I think on reflection, the game probably is longer than it needs to be. We probably need to edit it down by maybe a third just to try and get it to a much tighter experience. And personally, I found the first quarter and a little bit of the finale of the narrative just to be too hazy and, and kind of bureaucratic. So I, I don't really have so much strong memories of that. But as an open world game, um, I actually found it quite effortless to play to a relatively high level of completion. I think I'm only maybe about an hour or two away from getting the platinum if I ever desire to go back. What really stands out to me, though, is that there's some really like cool interpretations of like societies that would pop up in the vacuum of um, uh, like any kind of um, society breaking down, and there's some really interesting ways of exploring that aspect. And I think that's maybe why the story of Carlos kind of resonated with me in the way that it did. Similarly, there's a lot of really interesting lore that's put together, and it all holds water. Um, it's grounded in a science, whether it's a real science or not, is kind of irrelevant. And the sort of play on that, that in in a really interesting way, in, in the sense that like the freakers are never just defined as the undead. They're not undead. They're still human. They're just affected by a virus. And the way that Deacon interacts with that's really interesting. I think there's even some of the less pleasant aspects of that. Like we didn't really go into it, but the newts, for example, they're, they're still kind of there and they still make sense in the world and and all of the science that underpins that really does does kind of hold water in the same way. Um, I think, um, as I say about Jesse, that there's a sort of tension in in that component of the storyline that is really really palpable, and, and it's kind of interesting to be in there. And I think it's the strong point of the game. I wasn't so much a fan of um, the Colonel at the end of the game. I think that was probably a bit of a step too far. The Horde. Um, really, we've already said everything that needs to be said about that. It's a thrill from beginning to end, and, and it's the standout sort of marquee part of the game that I think everybody should experience if you're willing to put the time in. Overall, my feelings are a little bit like, um, I use the analogy of like an Uncharted 1 game. Like, it's serviceable, it's pretty functional. You'll look back on it and think, yeah, you know, it's a fair game. It's a 7 out of 10. I think there's a real, real strong sequel in there if they ever get the desire and the money and the funding together to go forward and, and go forward with the, the franchise in a new direction. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I might not have gotten the middle two correct, but I'm pretty sure that our uh, that our most glowing review will come from Jay. Yeah, but I might keep brief because I think what Brian and Rich have said, I agree with you know pretty much everything that they've just said. So rather than just repeat it, I went into this game with little expectation of what was to come, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoy. I had a, a whale of a time with it. I've been going through the new game. I'm right at the end of a new game plus playthrough on this stuff, and um, I loved playing against the hordes. I loved the world that they created. I'm really interested to see a sequel come from Ben. I think with the experience that they've gained from making this, that 
a, a, a sequel with a little more refinement in certain areas, I would love to see what they can do with it. I would be sad if I don't get to see Ricky, Addy, you know, uh, Boozer even, and the character, those characters <laughs> I want. It, see, to me, it's not just, it's not just Deacon and Sarah's story. To me, I want to see all their stories expand and work with at least in part, you know, I want to, I don't want to sort of just cut those characters off and see that. I think there's something really interesting if we kind of saw the next, you know, what's next in their story and the idea, you know, the, 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 sort of the, the tease that's given at the end of the, the game, you know, it, it, it interests me greatly. And I'm, I'm kind of, I am on board with a sequel. I, I think we'll get one. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised if we didn't, but yeah. All right. So uh, with all that said, it just remains for me, Leah, to thank Jay, Rich and Brian, as well as all of our correspondents. Uh, it says here, Editor Jay. So you're editing this one, too, huh? Oh, boy. Yep. I'm sorry. All right. We'll have fun. Uh, plus, of course, all of you for listening. Uh, so next time in issue 416, thaw out your bananas. It is Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Mm-hmm.